Welcome to the April 25th edition of the PFF Forecast. This is a fantastic episode. Evan Silva from EstablishTheRun.com, our good friend, is joining us. Why? Because he's about to write his mock draft. This dude does better work than just about anyone else out there. We're going to talk the draft. We're going to talk about the number three overall pick, um, about a lot of draft props that we like. So it's a fantastic episode. We're also going to talk about Orlando Brown and the Chiefs. Um, let's rock. Before we get started, I've got to remind everyone the draft show, the PFF draft show, is live on PFF.com all three days of the NFL draft. It starts on Thursday, 7 p.m., the night of the 29th of April. And as I said, it's on PFF.com. You don't have to go to YouTube. You go to PFF.com. You'll get a live draft tracker with all the PFF analysis, live grading as the picks are coming in. And of course, our beautiful faces. Chris is going to be there. Darius Butler is coming into Cincinnati. Mike Steve Renner, Palazzolo. Austin, Austin Gill. Steve might be doing a demo for draft prospects newly picked on how to create a Jerry. Um, it's going to be phenomenal. I just Ian, watched the 1989 draft where Deion Sanders got drafted. It would be like the second time in history where I mean, somebody did such a yeah, uh, display. Deion's was pretty good. And Ian Harditz, uh, our good buddy from the, the pregame shows, our senior fantasy analyst, is going to be right over there. And he's going to be dropping some fantasy goodness for you. All of those shows. So it starts at 7 on Thursday. starts at 6 p.m. on Friday. On Saturday at 11 a.m. And Sunday, there's a recap show that starts at noon. You won't want to miss it. And by the way, right now, the NFL Draft Guide, 30% off with promo code DRAFT30. And that works for any PFF subscription. PFF Edge is the one that gets you the draft guide. Of course, Elite will get you all of the betting tools and the DFS optimizer. So if you're preparing for next season, which you should be, go use Draft30 for 30% off at pff.com. All right, we're going to have Evan on here in a second. Um, I wanted to say a couple of things. First off, I want to shout out a lot of listeners uh, came through. I was in New York City this weekend um, doing, uh, doing some work. And uh, had an opportunity to meet some people who are really fond of you and don't hate me a ton. I was going to ask, like, what the distribution was. <laughs> like, I feel like uh, there were a few. You know, it was really cool to see, and and hopefully, you know, some By of you were listening. I really appreciate it. It was great to meet a lot of you. Um, and just know that not every single person thinks I'm a By piece the, of shit. <laughs> I just interrupted you, but by the way, <laughs> I've taken. Uh, hopefully, people will see on this show today. That I've taken some of the comments, not the ones saying, not not most of them, but the ones that say, don't talk over the guests. I took those a little seriously today. Mm -hmm. But I will say, every once in a while, I get the urge to go into those comments and defend you. Because they're always like, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, if you don't understand George's shtick, like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a good, here's, here's the thing. It's a really good um, litmus test. Yes. You know, you either get it or you don't. And if you don't get it, I nothing I can do for you. Um, so that was cool. Uh, this is going to be this is going to be a good show. I will mention to everyone that our next our last mock draft is coming up tomorrow. Or if you're listening to this on Monday, it uh, is probably out. So you'll check that out. This is our final what we would do in the draft. 
we've started talking about it. We're going to let Evan help us with a few uh, final thoughts. Um, talk about, as I mentioned, the Orlando Brown stuff. And then we're going to close out the show. I have a s- surprise. I have a little surprise for everyone, so you want to stick around for that. But now we're going to get to Evan Silva. And before we get there, we're going to talk a lot about some draft props and draft kings. And the DraftKings Sportsbook is a great place for you to go place those. Um, so DraftKings, it's America's top-rated sportsbook, is giving you a wonderful opportunity to turn $1 into $100 if you use promo code PFF. You take $1, turn it into $100 worth of free bets if a quarterback gets drafted first overall Thursday night. Gosh, as long as, as, long as the outside the lines crew doesn't get in there and take a, a linebacker at one, then is it Jeremy Schnapp, Jeremy Schnapps, um, By the th- way, then we'll be in good shape. Did you see the Orvlosky tweet where he said he went through all like the Division One, AA, or lower quarterbacks who have been drafted in the first round, and they were all like, not busts it's like you know yeah, yeah. Wentz being i think the worst one but like ken o'brien and stuff it's like yeah and then somebody somebody posted that the world war ii like you know uh, airplane with all the bullet holes i personally think that's an infallible argument so um uh, as go- a niners fan you hope i'm that praying young one dan orvlosky gets uh praying i'm get- praying um i will of course have many uh investments at DraftKings and the DraftKings sportsbook Come Thursday night, you should as well use promo code PFF. Go sign up. You must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, West Virginia only. New customers are those that are eligible. Winners are paid out in free bets. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Also, our friends at Underdog Fantasy. If you don't know about Underdog Fantasy, you need to go check them out. Their app is awesome. It's a place where you can play best ball and you can actually do some cool parlay uh, props betting for like NBA and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Go to Underdog Fantasy, download the app, play season long and playoff best ball and use promo code PFF, deposit $10 and then get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's, that's an amazing, uh, it's basically $10 for a draft guide. Go do it and then have a ton of fun at Underdog Fantasy. They were, they were very thoughtful with the the current draft situation they have suspended slow drafts because they wouldn't get done before the draft and it's not fair what a thoughtful company they shouldn't be underdogs anymore personally favorites and now evan silva it is our distinct honor to welcome back our old friend evan silva from establishtherun.com he's had some really good stuff out lately the podcast that you did about the bears regime by the way evan absolutely fantastic people should go listen to that all the good content that you and the fellows put out on establishtherun.com. Evan, it's been a little while. How are you living? Doing well, doing well. Uh, excited to talk ball with two of my favorite people in the industry. Uh, you know, have so much respect for your guys' opinions. And, you know, often we agree, sometimes we disagree, like on the Bills last year, Eric mm-hmm. Eager. Um, <laughs> just wanted, needed to call you out. And yep. also, Timo Ris- Risque. I uh, wanted to call out Timo Risque for missing on the Bills. But, you know, it's all love. Timo Risque did really well on getting Aaron Rodgers really high in his MVP proje- projections. And I wound up jumping on that in, like, week 13, week 14, and hit big on it. I mean, I think I got it at, like, plus 500 or something. So shout out to you guys. Thanks for uh, making uh, improving my bankroll. We had a lot of good discussion about the Bills going into last year and I think it would be very interesting to watch them this year you know I think um Alan's season was like 
a super high high at the beginning. It, it, it wasn't particularly high for a good stretch there. But then and there then was the like a stretch on. at the end of the season where they had so much value on the betting market. Imagine how out to lunch the market was when they had Buffalo as like one-point underdogs in Arizona against mm-hmm. the Niners with Nick Mullins. It's like, what the living... What was going on there? And then they like steamed. They steamed Pittsburgh on that Sunday or Monday night. And then it was you know the the, the and then they they went into or they were a home game against Miami who had to win to get in the playoffs. Boat boat raced them. Boat raced Baltimore in the playoffs. They ended up they were had a really interesting season where yeah seven even if I was wrong in week one I I stayed more steady during the middle of the year and then made it all back in weeks like eleven to eighteen. I, I will say this. I I was very happy with the Bills this year. You know why? Because they helped Evan to uh, cement my pillar of the season, which was that the Pittsburgh Steelers suck. Yeah, yeah. And was... nothing, perhaps there were a few things in, in life that gave me as much excitement as them destroying the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday Night so Football. So here's, here's a good question, Silva. So what does, just as we briefly, because I do think that this is, trademark the next big problem in football Mm. of those 2018 quarterbacks do do all of the worthy ones get a contract extension um lamar lamar baker uh josh allen and and uh not rosen no not rosen who's the who is the fourth or who's the fifth one uh, well, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold won't. One. I hope not. I mean, for all that's holy, let's assume not. Well, the first three will. the The fourth one, it's really interesting. The Panthers immediately after they traded for Sam Darnold, like announced mm-hmm. that they were going to pay that fifth year option for Sam Darnold, which would be like nineteen million dollars. That's a pretty big investment in a quarterback who has been unsuccessful to this point for a variety of reasons. Um, that wouldn't count as an extension, obviously, but you know. And, and then they—it was today, I think—they announced that they're not going to make that decision until after the draft. So yeah. that was an interesting bit of posturing by the Panthers, who were at number eight and in position to potentially draft a, a falling quarterback among these uh, big four or five. Well, okay. That. So you say they will get one. And again, this is a big discussion topic because there are going to be teams who, and you know, people we like, people we respect, have constantly brought up the whole, you know, if you look at all the quarterbacks that have been taken since X, you know, X, X save two of them are gone, right? And I think, again, the the big question, like I think we're all in agreement now that taking quarterbacks high is an edge, especially except for special cases like maybe Atlanta. Or, you know, where you have a quarterback where, you know, or even Green Bay, I think, to some degree. But then when, when it's Baker, when it's Lamar, when it's, when it's Josh Allen, I do think Josh Allen has the best chance among them to be worth that big contract. But, like, if it's somebody like Lamar, if Lamar has a season, let's say, 10% worse than last season, like, I think we can all agree that he's valuable and a starter caliber player in, in the league, but is he worth – 40 million per year. And I think the same thing can be asked about Baker Mayfield because all of these things, it was never how Goff performed on his rookie deal. It was never how Wentz performed on his rookie deal. It's, you know, and to a large, to an extent, like we haven't seen, you know, Mahomes pass the rookie deal yet, uh, money wise. It's always like what happens when you pay them. 
And like, are we ready as a football community to have those really tough discussions yet? Baltimore isn't, I'll tell you that. Like, I, I mean, I, I, the one that I think would be the hardest would be um, Lamar in Baltimore because of what he- Won an MVP. Won an MVP, what he means to that city. And I think that's always the tough thing is we look at it and we go, oh, we're, you know, we don't have any, you know, skin in the game from a team and a city standpoint. Like we're not making money from fans coming to games. And um, I think he's, I would say Lamar is, is a lock to get an extension. That would be yeah. it. They're, they're all going to get extensions. So yeah. Baker, Lamar, absolutely. Josh Allen. Yeah, yeah. Baker probably. I, to me, Baker's the, I think Baker has the best chance not. And, and here's why. Yeah. I don't think that um, Baker does not have, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson each have a particular skill that is somewhat unique in the NFL. Yeah. Certainly Lamar does. I think Josh Allen has maybe, if not one that's particularly unique, a couple that are, you know, 99th percentile. What if, what if and, you were the Jaguars and you were offered Lamar Jackson for the first pick? What would you do? I would not take it. Because, I, I, like, I think that that's, that's... What would you do, Evan? I would not take it. And I'm a Lamar stain. I am too. I like Lamar a lot. I But... That, that's like, would you take it? You wouldn't take it for Baker either, obviously. No. Not even close. So that that's really the, the rub. That's the difficulty because if you have one of these quarterbacks and he's good, your team is 11 and 5 like Cleveland and like Baltimore are, and you're in the 20s, and it would probably require you to trade pick 29 or whatever you are, plus your quarterback, just to get into that one spot. And I don't think... Like, I think everybody's so wise to that now, right? Like, everybody's like, wait, if that's how, like, you're taking, and like, th this again, it's the whole issue of a sure thing, which we'll talk about about Orlando Brown in a second. Like, sure thing versus, like, uh, you know, not a sure thing. But when you adjust for price, it's much like that tweet where it's like, hey, I don't like Kansas City minus three in the Super Bowl. I'd much rather take a sure thing, like plus 14 and a half at minus 5,000. And it's like, oh, wait, we did finally see the Chiefs lose by multiple scores. Nothing's a sure thing. And once you adjust for price, they're all sort of, you know, I don't think people really kind of understand that curve yet. You think Baker's a sure thing to get an extension of? No, but... Like what, I what love percentage? the way that he played in the first half or in the, in the second half of, mm -hmm. of last season in his first year in, in a new system with, you know, essentially no training camp, no preseason, no OTAs. And he took off in the second half of the year. They sort of unleashed him a little bit. And that was without Odell Beckham with Jarvis Landry playing through uh, multiple injuries. Um, and now he's heading into his second season under Kevin Stefanski, who I believe is one of the best coaches in the NFL with, you know, an elite offensive line returning Odell Beckham back, Jarvis Landry healthier. Uh, I think that, you know, like I, I bet him at 40 to one to win MVP. I mean, I think that he could really take off in, in this second season in the system. Yeah, there's a, and there's also the, the biases both in the marketplace for players, but also in the perception space for top picks so the 40 to 1 mvp i think you know it's much the same reason we always drag dak a little bit in the public perception because he's a former fourth rounder like there's always that cloud that hangs over him mm -hmm. where you know it's why anthony harris and eric wilson got barely nothing from the eagles it's like we all want to like sort of um take our biases from way back in the day and re 
you know, conform to them when we, we, if we didn't like a player way back in the day and he performs well, we're almost always like a little hesitant to really buy into how well he's playing at the time. Let me, um, I, I really like that MVP uh, bet, Evan. And I, here's something that I think is absolutely fucking hilarious. At DraftKings Sportsbook, players with a better chance to win MVP, uh, according to DraftKings Sportsbook odds, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Christian McCaffrey, Ryan Tannehill, Justin Herbert. Now, I, I think there's, you know, there's a couple that could get a little bit of buzz there, but like some of those are ridiculous in my opinion. Here's what I will say, though. The Cleveland Browns offensive line was the best offensive line in football last year. And your point about Kevin Stefanski, I 100% agree with. And to me, it's a little bit of the Jared Goff thing. Jared Goff looked really, he looked better than Baker did when the Los Angeles Rams were firing on all cylinders with a great offensive line and Sean McVay just torching teams with his scheme. But then all of a sudden, those things eroded around him and he was a disaster and, uh, you know, or just not very good. And I think the interesting thing with Baker will be, do you feel that if those things lessen by, say, 20%, is he good enough to keep you going? So I guess we'll find out this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that when you're looking for an MVP bet, you are looking at number one, plays on a team that's going to win a lot of games, mm -hmm. uh, plays quarterback, and you know you're looking at the best odds you can get. And that was sort of my approach with Josh Allen last year, who wound up finishing number two in in MVP voting. I thought the Bills would be good. He played quarterback, and I thought he had a chance to take a big leap because of what the Bills did around him. Uh, and right now, what is around Baker Mayfield is really, really positive for his outlook. I also really like Matt Ryan at 80 to 1. I was just about to say. Yeah. Uh, as a longer shot MVP bet. I don't want to go too off the rails here because I don't think we did, we're doing an MVP show. <laughs> but Matt Ryan at 80 to 1, I think, is an excellent, excellent bet. Arthur Smith is, gonna, is a talent mm -hmm. maximizer, I believe. They're going to install a lot more play action. Uh, the, the, the coaching staff upgrade from Dirk Cutter to Arthur Smith, I think is immense. Julio's coming, Julio, although he only played like half the season last year, still among the NFL leaders in yards per route run. Calvin Ridley is a baller. Hayden Hurst, they might add Kyle Pitts. Uh, they're bringing back their three best offensive linemen. And then the, the two guys that they quote unquote lost, Alex Mack and uh, James Carpenter. I don't even think James Carpenter is signed with anyone. Mm -hmm. Alex Mack is like 36. They're inserting uh, Matt Hennessy, who was a high draft pick by them, and Matt Gano, uh, who they gave a second-round tender. So I like everything that is going on around Matt Ryan. 80 to 1 is, is, is absurd. Ryan Tannehill is 25 to 1. Matt Ryan is 80 to 1. I, you know, look, I, I don't recommend doing drugs. That would be my, re my response to that. I think the 80 – we've talked about this before. Going from Dirk Cutter to Arthur Smith, kind of like going from Cincinnati to New York City for the weekend. As I can attest to, a deep cut um, there. Um, but 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 we're not doing we're not doing an MVP yeah, yeah. show. Let, let's talk briefly about the trade that went down this past weekend. Yeah, How um, you? you're going to do this before the Mac Jones number three. Yes, overall pick we have special. to crescendo to the mo most important topic. Okay. <sighs> okay, I'm going to try. And We've been all, look, look, George. 
Since my Kansas City Chiefs lost in the Super Bowl, we've been almost all 49ers all the time on this show. This, that's what this is about, Evan. This is not about this is not about a crescendo. This is about selfish eager over here. Okay, <laughs> you came in with the Bills talk, and now he wants to no, bring no. it back to the Chiefs. Because I'm actually because okay. I'm actually I'm I want to talk about pro- this because I I think it's interesting how the NFL media industrial complex covered this trade. Yes, and I I think they got it wrong. Yes, well, this and I think exciting. and I think that. That is also why the Ravens continue to one over the league every single time. Because when you look at like they re-signed Tashaun Bauer Bowser for like four years, six and a half million a year, and let Ngakwe and Judon go, when Bowser's every bit as productive as those guys, yeah. and you're getting him for a rookie deal contract right after having seen him for four years and everybody's like oh why are they like yes evan you're absolutely right and this is why so everybody's so, saying so let's rec- let's recap the trade here and then you can go into it so the baltimore ravens traded orlando brown to the kansas city chiefs along with the 58th pick in this year's draft a second round pick and a sixth round pick in next year's draft they got in return the 31st pick from the Kansas City Chiefs this season in the first round, a third round pick, the 94th overall in this year's draft, and a fourth round pick, number 136 in this year's draft, along with a 2022 fifth rounder. And it was, as you mentioned, a resounding, every single social media account praising the Kansas City Chiefs. And and they, you know, even our own at, you know, PFF, you know, said Kansas City got a stud. And that's, Okay, like assuming assuming like his grades and everything are mostly his play and not that of the Ravens scheme, that's true. But the price is immense. I mean, yeah, but also social media account. I'm talking about like people. Social yeah. media accounts for companies, their job is, is to, to engage people. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's what I mean. But like the thing is, is, so so somebody came at me and was like, the Ravens just traded the left tackle to a team that they're chasing in the AFC. How is that good for the Ravens? And the numbers are what the numbers are. I, I essentially calculated that Orlando Brown would, is, is costing about six times as much as the collection of trade picks is worth. And he, he's going conservatively probably be two to two and a half times better than what you would expect from the collection of picks. So essentially, you're getting three times the markup for whatever certainty you're buying in Orlando Brown. Which I don't think is that high because Orlando Brown has 870 career snaps at left tackle. He played in an offense with a really good run-pass ratio if you're a lineman. And he played with a quarterback for whom defensive ends and outside linebackers are scared of as hell of pass rushing. So, like, people are acting like this is such a sure thing over a draft lineman when... I would argue that, yes, he's played right tackle in the league, so the, the floor, if he really stinks at left tackle, he can play right tackle, all this kind of stuff. The floor is certainly higher. But the, the median, uh, this is a win for Baltimore. Evan, your thoughts? I have so much to say about this that I feel like I'm going to forget some things that I want to say and then <laughs> regret it later. But um, the way that I would begin with this is that, first of all, it's it's just – I don't get this notion that you can't trade with certain teams. You you want to limit your market. Like you can't trade within your division. You can't trade uh, with, you know, teams that you're competing with for in the AFC. And then all of a sudden you can only trade with like six teams and you've limited 
your your market, your the, the trade market for a player. That's that that's completely illogical thinking, and yet it is pervasive uh, throughout the NFL and the way that the NFL is covered. Number one, number two, Orlando Brown has not. There's a reason that Orlando Brown was a third round pick, okay, and he was you know really good in the the what the the Big Twelve. Uh, but he was he's a genuinely poor athlete and that's why he fell he, he, he's not a left tackle caliber athlete and when in, in baltimore not only was the run pass ratio in favor of the offensive line and they can actually get away in, in baltimore with having like average to, to below average offensive linemen because because of that in part they also use two tight end sets and even mm-hmm. three tight end sets at some of the highest rates in the league. So you have a help blocker for Orlando Brown. Um, and then also just the, the, the notion of trading a player whose contract is about to be up for a bounty is, you know, very favorable, not only from, uh, I mean, you know, ma- mainly from a salary cap standpoint. And th- there, there is also this notion out there that all of a sudden the cap is going to explode in 2022. You really think that the owners are, are going to allow that to happen? <laughs> no, the owners run the show. You know, unfortunately, the owners run the show in the NFL, and from a, from a power standpoint. And I don't think they're going to allow the salary cap to explode in 2022. So all of a sudden, you know, the, and, and the Chiefs ha- have gone through salary cap issues in the past. Um, and it has forced them to move on from some pretty good players. And I think they're about to encounter some serious salary cap issues in the forthcoming future. They're going to have to pay Orlando Brown a massive contract to keep him. He now holds a ton of leverage. So much over leverage. Them. Yeah. And, and so I tweeted about this and I said the Chiefs are clearly taking on the most risk in this deal for the, all those reasons that I just mentioned. And I was like attacked by Chiefs fans, of course, muted all of them. Um, you just gotta go just, straight you know, to the block, by the way. The block is more aggressive. I feel like it's way better. Yeah, but I, I've gotten away from the block. I'm, I'm more on the mute. But um, but this was this was a, a very risky deal for Kansas City. And the way that the NFL media industrial complex covered this trade, I think was um, was was not not proper. Um, well, yeah, and also remains- you know, the la- again the last time that Orlando Brown, who was a very limited athlete played left tackle was in the big 12 his his athleticism score in our metrics is 3.5 standard deviations worse than average the worst one in our database um bobby hart levels of athleticism but orlando brown also let's not let's not act like he was an an all pro last year He, he was the 25th highest graded tackle yeah you know playing Right now, I, I will say this though, right? So, to, to the only the only thing that's positive about this, in my opinion, is the the second best offense that Orlando Brown could have fallen to was Kansas City's. It's just the Ravens are like the easiest offense to play in if you're a lineman, and can't like Eric Fisher is nothing special, and like he's been fine there. The problem is is you can apply that logic to whomever you want to draft at 31 for that player at 31 is making $3 million a year. Eventually, now, here's the thing. I don't think they have nowhere near... Orlando Brown doesn't have anywhere near the leverage that 
Laramie Tunsil did because in the minds of like everybody in the league, this is the 45th pick, even though it's a first round pick sort of, you know, by name. But the worst case, like think about the case scenarios here. We did this with Dak as well. If Orlando Brown's terrible, it was a bad, it was a bad trade. If Orlando Brown is average, it's like starting pitching in baseball. You're still gonna have to pay 15 million a year for it, right? And if Orlando Brown is amazing, you have no leverage over one of the most important positions in the entire on the entire team. So like none of the three outcomes in this trade for Kansas City make them better off than when they were the, the, what they were before the trade happened. That's what makes it that makes it irritating for me. Like I don't I don't get that. Well, I also think it's super weird to go. Okay, it was really an easy situation for him in Baltimore. Well, it, the Chiefs have a similarly wonderful system. Now it's not quite as great as Lamar Jackson, but Patrick Mahomes is fantastic. You should be able to get away with not overpaying yeah. for the tackle position. And they are, oh, in my opinion, dramatically overreacting to having really bad tackle play in one game. And it is causing them, again, I think they have made a multitude of really bad decisions. Frank Clark, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round, trading for Orlando Brown, and they're paying, you cannot continue to make minus EV bets when you have Patrick Mahomes and you're going to pay him everything, you have to make smart, shrewd plays. That's how you sustain. That's literally how the Patriots were a dynasty. Well, and the the main to me, if I'm assessing all of these moves and somebody was like, well, Frank Clark got a sack in the Super Bowl after three and a half seconds. It's like <laughs> your reasoning for these players can never be even if they suck. Patrick Mahomes is so good that we're still going to be in it. Like that seems to be the reasoning on everything, Evan. And I just don't like to me that that's how you that's we've seen the Patriots happen and we've seen everything else happen, which is New Orleans with Breeze, uh, Packers with Rodgers, um, Falcons with Ryan, like literally all these other teams, they get one shot and the Chiefs have had their one shot. And the team that sort of has continued to defy all these things is the team that doesn't necessarily make... Now, they don't pick the right players all the time, but no one does. But, like, they don't make negative EV moves like this, Evan. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots for years, you know, and, and nobody talked about this enough, but, you know, they didn't... They, they, never dra they never crushed the draft, but they would crush the compensatory pick process. They would make these... Uh, uh, pick swap trades where they would, you know, move down 30 spots from the third round into the fourth round and get like a, a you know, an impact role player. And still the probability of them hitting on that pick was the same as, you know, if they had drafted at 98th versus, you know, 127. Um, and we don't really see the, the Chiefs carving out those advantages. Again, I think Orlando Brown is probably going to be fine as, as their left tackle. But man, they gave up significant draft capital get to get him, and they're going to have to pay him a big contract, and that creates a ton of risk. And the Ravens really alleviated a ton of risk uh, by moving on from him because they got the draft capital, and they're not going to have to pay that massive contract. I mean, absolutely, and you don't even have to look at that far to Baltimore to see. You know, we think of risk as. On the field risk, which I think the Chiefs, if you look at the two floors, are mitigating. If you if you're cost agnostic, they're mitigating risk a little bit. Although this time last year the Chiefs had a left tackle, 
who is about as good as Orlando Brown. The reason they lost the Super Bowl was because that guy got hurt. You're not preventing that this time this year. Like, it's silly, sort you're, of, they all gravitate. Actually, yeah, you're actually preventing building depth, which to me was the yeah. reason. They didn't lose the Super Bowl because their left tackle and right tackle got hurt. They lost the Super Bowl because they didn't have adequate backups to put in there. They did not have any sort of, um, they, you know, depth across the position you look at the saints i always talk about this with the saints they you know back when they would have injuries on the offensive line they were so good at they had guys that could move they could bump out they could replace in the center they never really suffered there and that's how you sustain right because injuries are going to happen but i think it's even worse than what you just said because i do think they drafted lucas niang in round three uh laurent duvernay tardif was a starter for them in the super bowl and Mitchell Schwartz was out since week six. They had adequate backups for most circumstances. They just dealt with a tail at risk event, which was both tackles get hurt, one right guard gets hurt, one other guy opts out, uh, and then another guy opts out. Like they're responding to something that's no one's fault, right? They, there was nothing. It, it, it's it's a it was sort of a black swan event. But now they're spending all this money to sort of make sure that never happens again. When in reality, if like Joe Tooney gets hurt, it's happening again. Like it's they can't prevent it, right? They they can only they can only build a scheme. And I think the big part of the Super Bowl was that Andy Reid, for the first time in God knows how long, wasn't able to adjust for whatever reason during a game. But that to me is where I would have focused more of my resources. Yeah, I'm fine with them taking one high end offensive lineman that generally speaking is okay but like now you're gonna have 35 million dollars per year on one side of your offensive line when like who's gonna start for a tackle for them Mike Remmers like Remmers was a good signing for them last year and he played mostly well throughout the year but it's just now it's like do you need two Mike Remmers now to to absolutely mitigate uh you know the the Super Bowl issue I, I think that the moral of the story or our takeaway here is that you know, teams are very, very human. They're they're very reactionary. We you, you remember uh, the playoff game where Derrick Henry just trampled the Ravens. The Ravens mm -hmm. were in position. They were the best team in the NFL. Derrick Henry comes out and tramples them. And then the next offseason, and Josh Hermsmeyer, our, our buddy, could speak to this. They spent the next offseason, the Ravens did, and the Ravens are, you know, maybe the smartest organization in the NFL, dumping resources into run stoppers. <laughs> And, you know, they did, they wound up not getting to where they wanted to go. Um, but even the smartest organizations can be very, very reactionary to one game. And, um, you know, so yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, the, the, the betting markets did not change as a result of this. No, neither win total changed, neither Super Bowl uh, championship odd changed because of this. A lot of these moves are not first order moves, but ultimately um, in the tail events like we saw in the Super Bowl. I do think it's interesting. There's definitely, at least in the media, like they overreact to if a player is included in a trade, that player, right? It like that's why this got such great publicity for the Chiefs because everyone knows who Orlando Brown is. People can talk about Orlando Brown, the 31st pick. No one, you know, that you can't put a picture of that guy up on a you know on a tweet or on Instagram. And, and like that's, but that's a legitimate, I think, advantage for teams like the Ravens. And Evan, you said something that I thought was funny about like, oh, there's teams we can't trade. You know, if we're competing against these teams, we can't trade. You're competing against everybody, okay? But it should be, I think, a red flag if a team as smart as the Ravens yeah. is willing to tr be the one sending the player to you. That to me should be a little bit of a red yeah, flag. I think if Cleveland or Baltimore 
is trading with you, you probably should go over it a few times. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, and I, Buffalo, mean, I think too. the Ravens Buffalo, I think believe that Orlando Brown's success was uh, very in very large part due to their scheme. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's just a fact. And I think if you could get, you know, truth serum on Eric DaCosta, he, he would tell you that. Okay, we're going to talk now. I've been waiting very patiently for you to get your rocks off about the Chiefs. We're going to talk about the number three overall pick. I've been waiting for a long time to talk to you about this, Evan. Um, and I'll just kind of give you the floor because I want to know right now, April 25th, the 49ers are in the third pick. That's where the draft starts. What do you think you know? W what do you make of the whole situation as it stands right now? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a better. And so if I'm betting this, and I'm looking at the odds, and I think it's Trey Lance at plus 300 and Mac Jones at minus 167. Yep. I'm willing to take the leap to, you know, based on the odds, an odds-based bet on Trey Lance. However, if I'm doing a mock draft today, which I'm about to do one here in the next couple of days, I'm putting Mac Jones at number three to San Francisco. So that, that sounds like a cop-out, and, and maybe it is, but I think that that's the smartest way to play this. Uh, the, there, there's no question that uh, around the league, like almost everyone believes that Mac Jones is going to be the 49ers pick at number three. Um, but I think that there is some sentiment within the 49ers organization based on things that I've heard, based on things that I've read, that uh, Trey Lance should be the pick. Um, and that, But that's not necessarily from Kyle Shanahan. And at the end of the day, I think that Kyle Shanahan is the pre, uh, the you know, the top uh, decision maker in the 49ers organization. Really? Uh, I do not think that Justin Fields is seriously in play at number three. Um, Why? And, and that's for, well, that's mostly based on, on what I've heard. I, yeah, and, and by the way, there was a great podcast. I don't know if you know Rob Pizzola, but he has a podcast um, with Betstamp where he was talking about how your mock draft, he was charting how when you're, you you put down your mock draft on Twitter and how it changed numbers. So like, <laughs> it might be one of those where, um, it, you know, the the the, mat, the Trey Lance plus 300, which you and I took last week uh, on Friday. Yes, the syndicate has grown. The syndicate has, has diverse, diversified a little bit. At first, there was only uh, one in the Wolfpack, was Justin Fields, and now it's we have added and, and Trey and Lance. And, but I, I could, I would imagine, and again, we talked about this number and how it's traveled around a number of times. I would imagine once, the, you know, I, I would imagine that Trey Lance at plus 300, it probably doesn't close there. I think it closes. And close is weird because once the name is picked. Mm -hmm. But let's say Thursday morning, Wednesday night, I'll call that close. By that time, I do think what Evan is saying is probably true where you're going to end up with jones at like minus two yeah i think you're going to end up with fields maybe in that plus 300 range and i think trey lance is probably going to end up plus like let's say 225 maybe mm -hmm. what is the number evan that you would consider because you're not laying a dollar 70 for mac right i mean at this point or is, or is that something you consider no i mean you know i, I still you know in, involve some feel into this and and it still strains my personal belief that the 49ers or any nfl team would 
you know, essentially end up surrendering three first round picks and a third round pick to go get Mac Jones uh, over Justin Fields and Trey Lance, who both clearly have higher ceilings, I think, than Mac Jones. So there is some feel here, you know, involved in my own betting preferences. Let me ask uh, you. But, you know, when I do my mock, I'm, I'm probably going to have Mac Jones going number three to San Francisco, and I'm going to hate myself for, for putting him there. I'm actually, I'm glad you're doing that, okay? As someone that deeply cares about this selection for more than just monetary reasons. Um, but I'm glad you're doing that because you're giving the people on this podcast now have an opportunity. If you want to bet Mac Jones, and I encourage you to do so to help me from a karma perspective, you can get him for 167. And when Evan yeah. releases his mock, you're not going to get him for 167. It's probably, as you said, it's going to get, um, you know, maybe out to two, even, even steeper. My question would be this, though. You said, Evan, okay, I look, I, everyone, I've, you know, everyone in the league is saying they think it's going to be Mac Jones. But everyone's saying the same thing about, for example, the second overall pick, which is Zach Wilson, and he's minus 5,000. <laughs> everyone's saying the same thing about Trevor Lawrence, the first overall pick, and he's minus, was it 10,000? Mac Jones is getting everything said about him going to third, third overall, and he's minus 167. So w- why is that? Why is it that everyone's saying this in the league, and yet he's minus 167? I mean, I think it's in large part because they can't even comprehend it <laughs> because, you know, for the reasons stated previously, and also just that, you know, as you get further down the draft, there's much less certainty with every pick. So that's how, that's how I, I would approach that. Yeah, this is an exacta in many ways, right? And you're sort of looking at that as a, it, it is like a low, like to me, the, the, the bigger, Anomaly is the fact that Zach Wilson is minus 5,000 to be the second pick, right? Because to me, and granted, we have him at really good numbers, but like to me, I'm nervous still about that pick. And even though the implied is like 80, near 98%, I'm nervous about that pick. I can understand. And we, I think Drew and Andy talked about, uh, they were on with the Circa uh, odds maker, and he said, you know, for, for the book to win on Thursday, Justin Fields being the pick is is the way that the book wins. So they have exposure on Mac Jones, and it 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 feels like again they're they're I don't know what the bet composition is, but I do think that Evans what Evans saying is one hundred percent correct, which is like they they're just can you imagine being a an odds maker and 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 laying a number like minus four hundred for Mac Jones, and then it coming out and it just being it just being you know Justin Fields quarterback Ohio State. And we're all like, oh, no shit. <laughs> like, that's what it should have been the whole time, you know? And like, and, and I think what they're probably doing is is laying a number where, you know, I think most of the Mac Jones money probably came when it was plus 100 or better. And I don't know if anybody's laying minus, like, I think that's the answer. No one's laying minus 170 anymore for him. Which, but you're like, Evan, Evan isn't, and I'm not, and I'm scared that he's the pick. Like, I, I, I agree with Evan 100% that, like I agree with the fact that there's a very real chance he's the pick, and I won't lay that number. Why? Why do you think? I mean, so Evan, who would you choose? I would choose Justin Fields. I, I you know, it, I mean, I'm not a great quarterback about. No one's a good quarterback evaluator, by the way. Mm-hmm. No one is. Not even people in the NFL. I mean, if you look at the hit rate of you know first round quarterbacks historically, it's it's. I mean, it's like 33 percent. Which is why you know, I take they, a line that these guys end up being actual franchise quarterbacks. Um, and I, I, I like Justin Fields 
second best among all the quarterbacks, but I remove my own personal feeling from, you know, when I'm making mock drafts. I just, I really think that there's a disconnect between draft Twitter and NFL media and how they feel about Justin Fields and how NFL teams feel about Justin Fields. I think that, you know, I, and why I think is that, that there, are, there are concerns behind the scenes uh, about Justin Fields. I think that a lot of it is coming from the University of Georgia and, you know, uh, where he uh, transferred away from. I'm not saying that it's right. I have no idea whether or not it's right. But I don't think that teams have a great vibe about Justin Fields right now. I think he's going to slip in the draft. Like right now his uh, draft pick position prop on DraftKings is four and a half. I like the over on that. By the way, can I – can I give a hypothesis? This was something that we talked about the other day. Fields has the biggest percentage of pressured uh, plays where he turns them into sacks or runs. And I think what an NFL evaluator says, and especially, and again, and again, I don't want to give, I don't want to give anything to Shanahan that's not true or that. But I'm just sort of thinking about Shanahan is very much a, you know, kind of wants to be a part of it, right? Like he he wants that sort of you know, player who will do, who will do the steps the way he wants to, will do, you know, and improvisation. That's why I always think Mike Holmgren is one of the best coaches in the history of the NFL because he was able to build a structure where Brett Favre could be as wild as possible and still have success. And I think a notch below that is somebody who builds a brilliant system, but kind of gets spazzy when stuff, when a guy does the unexpected. And I think Lance didn't have that in his data Mac Jones certainly doesn't have that in his data. And Fields, for as good as he is, and I, and I say I don't weigh this as nearly that highly, but maybe somebody who is like, my offense is the bee's knees, and how dare you, with a modicum of pressure, deviate from that. Maybe that's what the thought process is, not only with Shanahan, but around the league. Because there are people that I know who either know somebody or actually have like a not first-round grade on Fields, which blows my mind. But maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's like I spend hours and hours and hours building this scheme and this player freelances too much. And the really great coaches, in my opinion, the Reeds, the Holmgrens, uh, them, they, you know, they do a good job of living with that and, and thriving with it. But some coaches don't. And, and the 49ers have gone out of their way to build an offense and, and you know, uh, personnel you know, groupings where these guys are insane after the catch. You know, they, they make the quarterback's job easier. George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, great after-catch play, players. And what Kyle Shanahan really wants is just a, a, a point guard. You know, John Stockton, a, a, a distributor. And I remember it was, I think, immediately after the season almost, we were having a discussion. I can't remember if it was on a show or in our DM thread. But we were talking, like, George was like, yo, 49ers need to go get Deshaun Watson. And look, you know, doesn't look like Deshaun Watson is going to get traded at all at this point. But George really wanted the 49ers to go get Deshaun Watson, and I, I totally understood that. But Eric and I kind of pushed back on it, on the reality of that happening, because Deshaun Watson is such an out-of-structure quarterback. And Kyle Shanahan, at least we think, you know, is, you know, wants his quarterback to play within structure. And um, so, you know, and Mac Jones is a within structure quarterback and Trey Lance and Justin Fields might be more, you know, playmaker quarterbacks. So I don't know. It's, it, it's yeah. a really interesting discussion. It's obviously, 
you know, the, 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 the most interesting discussion in the, in the 2021 uh, NFL draft. So, so there's a couple of things there. The first, uh, and I think this is a really interesting discussion about Shanahan and I think by extension, a little bit of Lynch. So that's why, this is why I thought, I agree with you 100%, that right now, if you were going to place one bet on the NFL draft, that betting Trey Lance three to one is a phenomenal bet. Because I agree with everything that you just said. Kyle Shanahan is the most confident, you could call him cocky play caller and scheme designer in the NFL. And you know what? He fucking deserves it because he's amazing. Yeah. But he has also seen that he has had to lift on his shoulders and carry across the the water, the tepid waters. Well, the cross on his back. Literally carrying Jimmy Garoppolo and other inferior quarterbacks yeah. to success. And so I think he is looking for a guy that can both deliver within structure, but also when Dante Hightower is coming off the edge unblocked, can step to the side. Or when he gets hit one time in the pocket, his ankles don't absolutely collapse. Or when the guy is wide open on a post down the fucking field in Miami for the goddamn Super Bowl, he can lay it in there. And I'll, I'll add to this a little bit more context because this is the second side of the argument. So, you know, everybody talks about the, the influence that Mike Shanahan, Kyle's dad, has on the situation. And Mike Shanahan, as an offensive coordinator or a head coach, has three Super Bowl wins. One of them was with Steve Young and the 49ers in 1994. That was, again, Steve Young's probably a top five quarterback in NFL history, in my opinion, but also not a structure guy. Very much a 70% completion percentage guy while also rushing for like six yards of carry. I mean, so again, you see that high level. If Mike Shanahan and then Mike Shanahan had John Elway for two years and they won the Super Bowls there. when On the back of Terrell Davis. When Mike Shanahan got into trouble, it was when he reverted to what we're talking about. Hey, if I can just build a great, they built a great defense in Denver. You know who the quarterback was? Jake Plummer. And they go 13 and three, and they couldn't beat New England. They couldn't beat Indianapolis. They could, so what did he do? And again, this didn't work, but it's similar. What did they do in 2006? Trade 2005, they're 13 and three. They trade up for Jay Cutler, exactly, in the draft. And again, what is Jay Cutler? Jay Cutler was like a small, like Vanderbilt's not a small school, but it's like a smallish school because they're, and like, Jay Cutler's not Jimmy G like. He's not, you know, do everything right guy. He's he's the wild, you know. And and again, so I think of when people are like, "Oh, Mike Shanahan has a lot of input here." I'm like, "Do you really know what that means?" Because in Mike Shanahan's experience, he failed with the Steve Burlines and the Steve Bonos and the uh, you know, Brian Greasies Brian and Greasy, the Jake yeah. Plummers. He had success with the Hall of Fame quarterbacks. John Beck. You yeah, remember John the Beck, year that thank he was you. like all in on John Beck. By the way, Mike Shanahan belongs in the Hall of Fame. I agree. I, I don't think it, he will he, because he of the way he was the originator ended. of running backs don't yes. matter. Yeah. Trades away Clinton Portis for a, a DB. I mean, you guys should hire him at, at PFF. Actually, Mike Shanahan. He's currently unemployed. Mike Shanahan is um, so. First off, the when we were in the Super Bowl in Miami, Mike Shanahan came over to our our place, our uh, our bachelor pad, so to speak, and kicked it with us. And he he clearly, I'll say this. So you can go back and watch the video. I don't know if there's anything in there that's like particularly enlightening as far as this situation goes. But it was very clear that he is a part of Kyle Shanahan's process. So 
while you might say, oh, crazy day. Like, LeVar Ball, it's not LeVar Ball coming in and being like, you know, this is what's going down. And you're like, okay, you're full of shit. Like, I do think that Mike Shanahan's input would matter to Kyle. I am curious, Evan, though, why you think it's Kyle Shanahan that has the say and, and not John Lynch. Uh, that's a good, I mean, I would say that that's just based on my general sense of, of what's going on there. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, John Lynch does have a say, but I think that he defers to Kyle, but that's just my sense of what's going on there. I, I, I guess, I guess I, I should put more thought into that, but that's just my sense of, of what's going on in San Francisco. Yeah, it's such a good question, though, and I think that there's a. I think it makes sense that the that the the play caller would have the say when it comes to that. I mean, the other interesting we didn't talk about this. The last time Shanahan was a head coach, when his team traded a bounty of picks to the LA or to the St. Louis Rams to go up and get a quarterback. Now he didn't have other choices, but the guy he chose was an athletic like superstar Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in RG3 and wasn't the distributor type, um, you know, that were, but again, it, it's such an interesting discussion because we can sort of walk ourselves into circles and currently right now, Mac Jones is minus 167. So it uh, seems to defy. Evan, what is like, like there's a ton of narratives here. There are a ton of like players who are like earmarked for certain teams. Kyle Pitts to Atlanta, mm -hmm. Patrick Sertan to Dallas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even Sewell as a trade up candidate for the LA Chargers. Mm -hmm. What's one player team pairing that you believe is is more likely than like we're not giving any mind to that that other people are or that that other people aren't giving any mind to that you see as you do your mock draft and you're like. Oh my God, this makes a lot more sense than I thought, and no one's talking about it. Yeah, um, I well, first of all, I think that Jalen Phillips, the uh, edge out of Miami, Florida, is going to go higher than people think, and I think he's going to end up going in that early teens range, and that could be the Chargers at thirteen, it could be the Vikings at fourteen, yep. um, and right now, if you look at his uh, draft slot prop, it's like. 21 and a half yep. and I think he's gonna beat that by like six picks I think he's gonna go early I think that if he had a cleaner background he might be a top 10 guy uh but even with uh, you know the some injury and, and, and off-field stuff I think he's gonna go really really early um he is I think easily the the premier pass rush prospect in this draft the other guy like Quiddy Pay is kind of like small and squatty and Gregory Rousseau has, you know, all these question marks, hasn't played in two years. Bad um, athlete, too. In this, I think in this that Jalen Phillips is the prototype, and he's going to be treated like that in the draft. Yeah, that's a really – I mean, I even, – I, Even with the, the concussion stuff? Again, if, if he didn't have that stuff, I think he would be in the top ten. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a little like, bit of like Phillips. Like number eight to Carolina. Phillips to first defensive lineman taken – when I look at when I look at some of the comps that we have in our college to pro system, it's Jared Allen is what comp Terrell Suggs, and this might not be a, a big deal anymore. But Frank Clark, uh, yeah, Michael Frank, Johnson. Frank Clark is actually the in our uh, the PFF NFL draft guide. It's, it's, it's amazing comp. how things come to, yeah, yeah. come together nicely there, and he's you know a standard deviation better than average as far as uh, athleticism. I like that. I obviously this is another one. It's plus two hundred if you think he's the first defensive lineman taken. 
I think in a draft like this where a position like running back is always like this, but in a position without like a Jamar Chase or or Kyle Pitts or Rayshon or uh, uh, Sewell, the the favorite's almost a terrible bet in all of these, right? Like mm-hmm. the under, like I think Barmore is another one for this particular bet where just because he plays a different position, but he's grouped in with the defensive lineman, if some team's like, look, we just need to get a run stuffing defensive tackle, and he goes first. It might not be because he's a better prospect than Pay Phillips Rousseau or anybody like that, but just because he plays a different position. So, like, I do like that. I like that one a lot, Evan. I do have a, a bet on Phillips being first defensive lineman taking. I think it's great. Like, he would make a ton of sense to the Dolphins at 18, too. You know, like, yeah. that really should be, like, his floor almost. I mean, I, that, that's where I think he's going. I think he's going in the teens, probably in the early teens. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. What, what do you think – so – what do you think about corner? Because corner has evolved substantially since open. I mean, Sertan and Fairley were both about a buck twenty-five. Horn was like eight to one to be first corner, and now he's like seven to one or lower. Oh, geez, he's three uh, plus three fifty to be the first defender taken. Like, I I see some people who are saying Horn's floor is like pick twelve. Mm-hmm. Where does that leave Sertan? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean. Sertan, to me, it's interesting because I think the narrative is Sertan is maybe the less risky corner, and but Horn has the potential, maybe the ceiling. Yeah. Um, his his measurables were insane, um, and so that to me, it's interesting because I think both these guys are getting a lot of Dallas love, and I'm curious what you think about some of these, some of the trades, Evan, because. they're going to be a few and one that keeps sticking out to me is like Dallas is never a team that just kind of sits there and takes a guy who just you know is a kind of safe guy like that's not something they want to do so I don't know if it's Dallas or if it's another team that you think makes a move upward whether it's for a quarterback or for another another position well I mean I think it's Denver Uh, Denver has like a lot of really good pieces quietly and also a really low uh, win total at sports books. Mm-hmm. And if they can solve this quarterback problem, Drew Locke is not the answer. If they can solve this quarterback problem, whether it be with, you know, a slipping Justin Fields or a slipping Trey Lance a little bit, or even Mac Jones, um, I think that they absolutely need to be willing to do this. Uh, and I mean, they, you know, they, their offensive line was badass last year. In Mike mm-hmm. Munchak's second year, best offensive line coach in, in the league, Cortland Sutton's coming back to pair with Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler and Noah Fant, and their defense is going to be good with Vic Fangio. If they can solve this quarterback issue, they, I mean, I think that they could quietly, uh, under your, your favorite uh, position coach in the league, uh, Eric Eager, Pat Shermer, uh, take the, the leap to be a um, – to, to be like a 10-win team. And and their their win total, I think, is like seven it's, or, or seven. I can't, seven. Believe, seven. I can't believe Evan rem- remembered this, but I was just going to bring up Pat Shermer. I, I can't believe it. I'm shocked. We can't make it through a podcast without the Chiefs or Pat Shermer. It is a consistent <laughs> but Shermer, theme. Shermer, by the way, uh, real go, quick. Go for it. The, the, their win total, seven and a half plus 100. We've talked about both. We've had over on that. We've talked about both their win total and a sneaky – they're they're to win the division. I think we talked about it like fourteen to one. Yeah. I know I have it. It's too fourteen much. or twelve to one. If you bet the Chiefs to win the AFC West, you're just I mean you're just you're playing Russian roulette at some point. But the, 
The the thing that's interesting with that is Shermer has quietly done decently with either young quarterbacks or quarterbacks who have uh, like checkered past, right? Like so, he was the guy with with Keenum in 2017 who was who did really well. The Giants' offenses did better when he was there with Eli's broke ass mm-hmm. than they did last year. Um, you know, last year's offense wasn't very good, but Drew Locke's pretty bad. And then Sam Bradford, I mean, they improved like from like 32nd in points per game when they got Bradford in 10, they were at 19. Like they've improved. I'm not saying he's an elite play caller, but I do think he does better than people believe. And as you said, Evan, with an offensive line, Garrett Bowles went from unplayable to contract extension worthy. And they have all these other players that, that are going to be pretty good, I think, on the outside. Sutton coming back, the two tight ends. Uh, uh, they're getting back Juwan James at right tackle as well. That too. And, and, and even like... And again, like you know, Melvin Gordon's not the best player at the position, but he's an he's an okay receiver, and like, you know, not they they have talent. Well, I mean, that's they like signed their cheap. their starting running back. They got Mike Boone. That's yeah, you see, guy. Great, great point. You see, guy. Who? Um, Thank you. What is your take on the running backs? How many? Are we, oh how many? We see. This is the worst running back class I have ever seen. I've been covering the NFL for like a <laughs> decade and a half at this point. I have never. This is. It's atrocious. I mean, there there are three guys that I think are going to be starters, maybe, and then a whole lot of nothing. I mean, I, I actually it was uh, two days ago or uh, Friday that I started looking at the back end running backs, Dude, um, watching them, and you know, looking at their measurables and their production. I mean, horrible, man. I mean, just the, the worst running back class I have ever seen. There, there are players in this class who are like productive in college that like were terrible athletes. So like that we don't have somebody in our college to pro system. We don't have a player registering in the 80th percentile or better athletically. Um, the best athlete in the class is Elijah Mitchell, a 77.8 percentile athlete. Harris is 55 percentile. Williams 57. Trey Sermon, teach me, is 76 percentile. But then you got guys who people think are good, like Ramondre Stevenson, fifth percentile. Larry Roundtree, second percentile. Even like Jarrett Patterson, who was a baller at Buffalo, sixth percentile. Like these guys, like Khalil Herbert, 16th percentile athlete at the position. It's Kenneth Gainwell, 19th percent. Here's what I'm excited about. And I think, Evan, you may be excited about this as well. Because if the Pittsburgh Steelers take Najee Harris in the first round, it will give me an opportunity once again, Uh, once again, to fade the Pittsburgh Steelers for a second straight season, and it will be By the way, we, um, Evan, Evan did a great job just now giving out numbers that I thought were bettable, by the way. Um, if you look, there is, I believe, let me make sure that this is still true, um, there is a, a, an arbitrage opportunity oh. on the marketplace. Najee Harris, this actually is up a pick, but Najee Harris on DraftKings is 25 and a half. Equal juice on both sides. I believe he's either 28 or 29 and a half on FanDuel. So you have like a three pick middle there, which again, you know, that that's not trivial, right? And you're all about making good bets here. It's not a huge edge. None of those picks are that big of a percentage, but um, but you know, that's an opportunity that's afforded to you if you want to. I took well, I took ETN under 29. is going to be the first running back drafted. The Ramondre Stevenson guy. If you read Bob McGinn's uh, scouting reports which are reflective of uh, NFL executives and, and, and scouts and, and all that. And they have some predictive value. They actually have him listed as a fullback. And some <laughs> people have him as like the number four running back in the draft. And they, ha- they have him as a fullback. 
in uh, Bob McGinn's uh, scouting yeah. reports. I actually, our numbers really liked him until he tested. Oh, his tests were awful, abysmal. You gotta, you gotta get the uh, get in the gym, you know. Um, anyway, anyone that you think is gonna be, I remember a couple years ago, it was like um, both Edmonds brothers made it in uh, the first round, and we're like, wait, wait, he had a brother. Um, who's a anyone on your radar for a really surprise first round selection? I think Eric Stokes, Georgia Ooh. cornerback, crushed his pro day. Plays a you know really valuable position. He's a guy that could sneak in the the back end of the first round. He is plus one forty. He's also eighty six percentile athlete, as as Evan said. Um, I like it. I, he's a better athlete from the test, although you know he might not be as as uh, Caleb Farley. What would you say that means? <clears throat> so the cornerback market was three and a half. You know when they first laid these. Now it's four and a half. Are you over that at minus one twenty four? Is that like something? Yeah, because because yes. it's a valuable position. La the last few years, corner hasn't been as as coveted in the first round, but we've seen the value of the passing games. Uh, obviously, I think teams are taking notice there. That's yeah. one place where if you like a an over offensive players bet, you're either assuming no safeties, somebody like Trayvon Morgan goes in the second round, or or something like running backs. You know, one or two running backs go too. And you could still cash the over cornerbacks bet and also uh, the over 18 and a half, whereas it is right now, offensive players bet. Yeah, and I also think that in the back end of the first round, there's a bunch of teams that could draft a corner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Packers, the Jaguars, the Jets. You know, there's a bunch of cornerback needy teams late in the first round um, that I, I think could, you know, end up yeah, going, going to that position. It's, again, it's a very valuable, well, very valuable position. Even even Baltimore because Baltimore right now yeah. is actually a favorite to take a defender. Which you think about every with their first pick, everybody's thinking wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, or offensive tackle. But in reality, the Ravens do such a good job of they don't ever draft for need because they don't ever have need. So like you know they could take a corner there as well because you know it's a three corner league and Humphrey and Peters are great, but Jimmy Smith and you know like they're they're getting older at the back half of that position. Tavon Young's never been able to stay healthy, all that kind of stuff. Like I like I like I like that that shout there Bills as well like Bills were starting yep. Josh Norman there last year. Bills uh, also Tampa Bay. I mean, the Bucks are going to have to decide on whether to pay Carlton Davis or Jamel Dean, yep. mm -hmm. or maybe they won't put, you know pay either of them. And and they could go any which way at number thirty two. They could easily take a corner. Yep. A couple others that I'll mention because I'm going to bet a few of these. Um, the Eric Stokes I looked at. I like a, you know the ones that are plus money here. Jason Away is plus a hundred. And he's another guy whose measurables were insane. Now, I've, I've heard people go, oh, do you think he could be like the first um, you know, edge defender taken? And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that like Jalen Phillips, from a production standpoint, like Jason Away did not have production that NFL teams, I think, are going to get super excited about. Um, but it's, it's a weak class, and it's an area of need for a lot of teams. Um, and then you've got Asante Samuel Jr., who's also plus 100, yep. another corner. Um, I, I think both of those corners are, are going in the first round. Um, especially because it's just like it's there are going to be teams that are going to say I'm going to wait on receiver I'm going to take a defensive player because there are not going to be any left no. the next time that I'm drafting it's just going to happen I want to I want to close this out by saying we didn't have a combine this year Evan and it was sad because we didn't have a chance for you and Sean Payton to uh, to talk to one another again so I'm looking forward to next year thank you man for hanging out with us we appreciate it 
and we will talk to you soon. Check out Evan Silva at establishtherun.com. See you later, brother. As usual, special thanks to Evan. I, I knew he wasn't going to let you get out of there without uh, talking about the Buffalo Bills. Brought that up right off the bat. Um, but he's super plugged in, and so I thought it was really interesting to talk to him. Was there any like major takeaway you had from either the, the Mac Jones conversation or anything else? I think Evan is viewing the third pick very pragmatically, and I think if we've aired it all in that, um, it's – it's that we haven't been very explicit about how pragmatic the bets that we've made are. You know, like I think he was very explicit about it. I like that. He said, if I had to do a mock draft, I would poke Mac Jones, which I think is fair given he's the favorite. Um, but if I had to bet it, I would do. I would bet Trey Lance um, because that he has the longest odds. And, 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 you know, in a situation where nothing is known, you probably, of those three quarterbacks, want to take the one with the biggest number. Uh, as we did Friday, we currently have – some Lance at plus 300 to go with Fields at plus 250. Um, but I, you know, where I've, where I've, I think, you know, the the whole conversation is aired, um, and whether we've contributed to this or not is, you know, notwithstanding, is the Mac Jones thing is either a sure thing or no chance, right? And I think we've said things like, I can't see it, I can't see him thinking that way. But at the same time, like what we're really trying to do is capitalize on a situation that is extremely uncertain. And I think Evan did a really good job of capturing that. The, my big takeaway from it was his belief that it is not Justin Fields. And that is incredibly useful to know because he also said, I would take Justin Fields. So you know that you're getting someone that has thought this through, which is always what you get with, with Evan. But like, that's so interesting to me. And it again, talking about how, oh, well, the teams think this way. And you idiots who, you know, live in the outer world don't know what you're talking about. That's, that just is annoying. Um, and it's not proven out by the way that players perform in the NFL. So, like, I, that to me rubs me the wrong way. If it does happen to be Mac Jones, and we may talk about this on our podcast next week, um, it doesn't mean that it was the right pick because Kyle Shanahan made it. Like I, that has to be made clear. Yeah, and just because Kyle Shanahan is an extremely good coach does not mean he doesn't make mistakes. And I think that I don't know. Like I, I will not be surprised when Jones is the pick on Thursday. I will also not be that shocked if it's Fields or Lance. I I am of that belief currently, and I think maybe a week ago. I was more. I would have been more shocked had it been Mac Jones. But um, given the way things have moved, Michael Silver had the long screed on on Twitter about it. Um, you know, we have other. There's other outlets that you know. There are other people I talk to who think it's Lance. There are other people I talk to who are like, no one knows. Which if, in the no, if the no one knows camp has any validity, any validity, then Fields is way more of a an option there than we believe. And I do think, like I do, I. Again, the whole thing stands. What does Atlanta think, right? Because if Atlanta think like if Atlanta thinks that Fields or Trey Lance are going to be there at four, you got to think they're thinking about moving the pick. I one thousand percent, one thousand percent. Which which it doesn't look like they are, by the way. I want to close out with this. Do you know what's happening tonight? It's uh, Sunday night um, for everyone listening. It's like the Emmys or something like that. The Oscars. The Oscars, yeah. <laughs> All right, we haven't done it. Someone, uh, someone 
threw out a, a comment that was like, I miss the Quibi shows. Oh, nice. Okay, I didn't, I didn't have a chance for Quibi shows. I did have a chance for Oscar nominations. Don't look them up. I want you to tell me if you think this is, these are real movies or not. Okay, 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 okay. This is either an Oscar nomination for Best Picture or something that I have completely made up, okay? Uh, first one, Judas and the Black Messiah. That is a real movie. It is. Yep. I think I've heard that before. Okay. Um, promising Young Women. No, that's a movie. It is a movie. No, I, I actually, I started but, watching that with my wife. Okay. Um, so far, you're two for two. You know, the pandemic's really helping me here, right? Because like, really... there have been some Saturdays and Sundays, my friend, where there's... Yeah, apparently. Yeah. All right, here we go. Uh, next one up. The Sound of Metal. Sound of Music is a movie. Sound of Metal is not. Wrong. Damn. It is a nomination for Best Picture. Uh, next one. <laughs> it's a not, not only a movie, but a nomination <laughs> yeah. for Best Picture. Uh, next one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Are you fucking with me? No. No, but The Father is. There is a movie that is nominated for Best Picture called, called The, the Father. Father. Uh, last one here. Um, the trial uh, of the Chicago. Uh, this is actually one. Okay. Chicago 7. Have you seen this one? I've heard it's good. No, I, I want Chicago to. Seven. Um, I have not seen any of these, but this one has a really good cast. Here's the last one No Mad Land. Yeah, I've seen that. Damn it. You've yeah. seen all these movies. Mm -hmm. So this no was Man not, Land was actually. I thought so, I was going to get you by literally just so reading one of my favorite the names of them does and it didn't a work. recommendation at the which I think we I think the the issue is, is you and bad. you and I like work too much like we literally don't like like we I'm trying to read more books now the off season is uh -huh. happening but like most we're up till like two in the morning every day like we just like don't like go to movies and sh like but like the, one of my favorite podcasts has like a recommendation no um, like a recommendation station at the end. And like I'll generally speaking watch a movie that they say and they no man land they loved it and I, I actually you know it's not my cup of tea per se but I thought it was really good. This is a first in the history of our podcast. You have seen movies nominated for Best Picture. I haven't. <laughs> I looked at this list and I don't even remember hearing about yeah. one of these. Well, movies. it was a weird year for cinema, right? Because yeah. they couldn't film a lot of it and strange. Yeah, I promise I will bring. Quibi shows back. That is my promise to you. When the draft, well, well, look, when we go to, when we, we, we post draft, we got to like have a Quibi like brainstorm. We'll do it. Thank you guys for hanging out. We'll be back next week. Enjoy the draft. See y'all.